I have never been so conflicted than I am at this very moment. It's weird. It's weird to feel conflicted because I take pride in coming out here with conviction. Yes. Hit you with a blowtorch of high conviction takes. Yes. That's the goal. That's the goal. But now I feel conflicted because I've been enjoying Matthew Barry's spiciness. You see it on Twitter. My friend Pat Thorman writes, Eric Ebron is a prime breakout candidate at tight end number 11 in fantasy draft. Evan Silva agrees. Matthew Barry disagrees. He replies to Pat, is this a new Eric Ebron sleeper piece or the same one from the last two years, just with dates updated, asking for a friend? Oh, asking for a friend. When's the asking for a friend crutch Twitter joke going to go away? I think that one's run its course, Matthew, because you're not asking for a friend. You're asking for yourself, trying to soften your mockery. Don't soften it. Just tell jokes and don't soften them and don't apologize. We want edgy Matthew Barry. We do not want the top of the talent pyramid to be a watered down generic personality. It's not what we want. We want the spiciness. Problem with that analysis is that Eric Ebron is 24 years old. He just turned 24 years old. So if fantasy analysts were touting Eric Ebron two years ago, well, that was misguided because he was 22 years old and the odds that a 22-year-old tight end is going to be shot out of a cannon straight into weekly fantasy viability, that's just not likely. And anyone that was projecting Eric Ebron to be a fantasy viable asset in year one was misguided. I mean, it's possible. It's not insane. It's possible. It's just not likely. That's all. But now, you see, now it's likely. It doesn't matter who was predicting the improbable outcomes for Eric Ebron in previous years. Doesn't matter. Even the same people who got it wrong with Eric Ebron in past seasons are now afforded the opportunity to get it right with Eric Ebron because now is the time that he is positioned to ascend in fantasy football. Why? Because Anquan Bolden's gone. That's why. And that's really all I need to know. Eric Ebron received a 90% snap share last season. That's going to go up. He'll get something close to a 100% snap share and operate in the middle and intermediate zones of the football field where Anquan Bolden posted 10.8 fantasy points per game last season. The beauty is, through the law of the conservation of targets, Anquan Bolden hasn't been replaced The Lions didn't sign anyone. All they did was draft Kenny Galladay in the third round, who most of us believe was a reach, given that Kenny Galladay's profile was similar to some undrafted free agents like Krishan Hogan and Jerome Lane, a size-speed specimen from a small school. That's Kenny Galladay. But the size-speed specimen from the small school is not generally fantasy viable as a rookie, just like the rookie tight ends are very rarely valuable fantasy assets. And the funny thing is, in the past, we were right about Eric Ebron all the while admitting that the disdain for Eric Ebron in the fantasy football community was misguided. It was irrational. In 2015, Eric Ebron posted a plus 13.6 production premium, number 10 in the NFL, a plus 9.6 target premium, number 17 in the NFL, and a 7.7 yards per target, number 17 in the NFL. He was top 20 in numerous efficiency metrics in 2015, and yet in 2016, I wanted nothing to do with Eric Ebron in fantasy football. And I sat in front of this microphone and I admitted that I didn't have a good reason for ranking Eric Ebron outside the top 10. I didn't have a good reason. I didn't know. I just didn't like him. I said it. I don't know if there's a player in the league 
that I can't support drafting and I don't know why, it's Eric Ebron. Unfortunately, he posted 9.3 fantasy points per game last season and I was vindicated, but not really because if it's all about the process, I had no process evaluating Eric Ebron last season. It was just a feeling. Every year, you're allowed to dismiss one player because you have a bad feeling about them. I had a bad feeling about Eric Ebron. And largely because 23-year-old tight ends rarely produce, and I couldn't get over that. It wasn't enough to completely dismiss him, but I did, and I was right. But just because others were wrong about Eric Ebron in previous seasons doesn't mean he can't break out this season, because that's the logic of Matthew Barry. If Eric Ebron underperformed his ADP for two consecutive seasons, he can't possibly outperform it in year three. That's just not possible. If analysts were wrong about him in the past, they can't possibly be right about him now. No. And that's the ultimate derivative analysis, right? Backward looking analysis of analysis, right? I mean, the you're not going to get me this time has to be one of the great sources of bad fantasy football projections and analysis. I don't pay any attention to how fantasy analysts rank particular players in any particular year on fantasy pros or anywhere else. So my projections and my analysis is never influenced by how wrong analysts were in the past. (laughs) It's just... Fortunately, sidestepping that particular analysis booby trap. But in 2015, Eric Ebron posted a relatively efficient season on a 13% target share. Last season, he posted another efficient season. He improved his yards per target yet again to 8.4, top 15 in the NFL, and his catch rate rose to 71.8%. Eric Ebron's catch rate was 71.8%. Yeah, yeah. And his contested catch rate, 55.6%, top 10 in the NFL. So even though Eric Ebron has never been a tight end one in fantasy, his efficiency has been creeping up and up and up every season. Most importantly, his target share has been creeping up and up and up from 14% in 2015 to 17% in 2016 and will now enjoy all those vacated Anquan Bolden targets. So you could argue Eric Ebron should receive a 20% target share this season. And if a tight end is going to get a 20% target share, even if he's not one of the most efficient players in the league, he'll still be a tight end one in fantasy. Lock it in. That's why on our redraft rankings, playerprofile.com forward slash player dash rankings, we have Eric Ebron in the top 10 tight ends because we don't dismiss players on our rankings just because other analysts were wrong about them in the past. (laughs) Sorry, Matthew Barry. But that wasn't even the spiciest Matthew Barry tweet in recent days. No, 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 no. A writer from Fantasy Pros wrote an article titled 100 Fantasy Stats heading into 2017. Matthew Barry quote tweeted the article's promotion and simply added sigh. Sigh. Yeah. Sigh. And I didn't know why he tweeted that. I had no idea. I honestly had no idea why Matthew Barry was sighing about that article premise. And then I clicked on the tweet and there were maybe a hundred replies. 
and I quickly learned why Matthew Barry was unhappy. Fantasy pros stole his essence. Yes, they stole his article premise because Matthew Barry writes another article during the offseason called 100 Fantasy Football Facts. Heading into 2017. <gasps> Those sound very similar. They do. They sound very similar. Really? I can see why Matthew Barry's upset that fantasy pros would steal his essence. It's not even the same concept. 100 facts is different than 100 stats. A fact is not a stat. <laughs> a stat is a fact, though. So stats are facts, but facts are not stats. They're different things. But not to Matthew Barry. No. The article premise was just too similar. He feels like he created a unique article premise. A specific approach to delivering information about NFL players for fantasy football in the offseason by listing 100 facts, many of which are stats. And I agree with him. If he wants to put on his Wikipedia page that he invented the article premise where you list 100 facts that are mostly stats, do it! Go! Yes! Go put it in the annals of history. Claim that as a career accomplishment. Feel free! This is the challenge that all artists face. Artists have no patent and trademark office for their style, for their premise. Comedians have the same problem. It's a much bigger problem in comedy than it is in fantasy writing. Dane Cook famously complained that another comedian had stolen his essence, which was ridiculously ironic coming from an infamous joke stealer in Dane Cook. But an artist lamenting a stolen premise or essence is a legitimate complaint. I know many of you will probably assume that I'm going to mock Matthew Barry for his self-important side tweet, but I can't. Except I would say that Matthew Barry does need to get over himself. Because like comedians, fantasy writers are out here in the world with no protections. I mean, Boston comedians made careers out of lifting Louis C.K.'s jokes. Dane Cook stole Louis C.K.'s jokes and just added histrionics. Dennis Leary's most famous joke premise, the I'm an asshole, I'm an asshole joke premise, was originally crafted by Louis C.K. And Louis C.K.'s not wired in a way that he would go to social media and accuse Dennis Leary of stealing his jokes. But at one point, he was asked on a radio show whether Dennis Leary stole any of his jokes. And he responded honestly, said, yes, here's what happened. But Louis C.K.'s the bigger, cooler man, and he didn't feel the need to claim ownership to put his inventor stamp on it. Louis C.K. didn't jump up and down about it because he's secure in his own greatness. He was on to the next joke premise. Whereas Dennis Leary was wearing that out for a decade. Every time you go see Louis C.K., you hear different jokes. That's why Louis C.K. is the best comedian in the business. That's why he's the comedian's comedian. That's why when historians look back at the age of comedy, Louis C.K. will be in a completely different pantheon than Dennis Leary, please. But those are choices we make as artists. Dennis Leary made the choice to steal a joke and make it his own. Louis C.K. made the choice to just move on and be a machine of originality rather than wallowing in possessiveness of his art. And Louis C.K. is better for it. Just like Matthew Berry would be better for it if he did not diminish himself by attacking a contemporary with a fraction of his prestige and clout and power and income. I mean, please. Please. You own the number 100, Matthew Berry? Really? Really? 
the number 100. No fantasy writers can craft lists of 100 things ever again after you did it. Matthew Barry is by far and away the biggest personality in fantasy football. But man, can he be small. What more does Matthew Barry need? The distance between Matthew Barry and the second most famous fantasy football personality is a chasm. He dwarfs every other fantasy football analyst in income, reach, influence, and now pettiness. You simply cannot own a top 100 list. You can't. If someone came out with an article or a book about zero RB and didn't credit Sean Siegel, that's different. That's a revolutionary new concept being brought to the industry. That's not a top 100 list. Someone actually did that. And what did this show do? This show stood up for the artist, in this case, Sean Siegel, brought the interloper onto the show and embarrassed him by pointing out his blatant plagiarism. Never forget Jack Delaney coming on this show and then immediately afterward adding citations of Sean Siegel's work on Rotoviz to his book. One of the great victories in Roto Underworld Radio history. That's defending the propriety of art. Art on a non-player profiler platform, no less. But I don't think that's what Matthew Berry was doing. I don't think he was protecting the sanctity and intellectual property of art. No. Matthew Berry whipped out his million-dollar ESPN dick and peed all over Fantasy Pros. So this is my territory. I'm the only one that's allowed to do top 100 lists. I'm sorry, Matthew. Very sorry. I thought you did 100 facts. I did 100 stats. No, it doesn't matter. 100 anything. Mine! I think that was a bad move because not only did Matthew Berry look small, in the long run, those that continue to obsess over the worn out premise are destined to become derivative of themselves. It exemplifies the draining of creativity. You see this with The Fast and the Furious. We can't come out with a revolutionary idea for a new movie. No, 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 no. That's not going to get greenlit. No. We just need to microwave the same premise over and over and over and over and over again. And that's what Matthew Barry does. Just microwaves the same premise over and over and over and over again. In July, I'm going to do my 100 facts. In August, I'm going to do my manifesto. That's not what Louis C.K. does. Louis C.K. throws out the jokes from the previous year and writes all new jokes. That's what I would suggest Matthew Barry to do as fantasy football's preeminent figurehead. It's incumbent on Matthew Barry to be original, to be a thought leader, to get out in front, not just go to the fridge, take out last year's premise, and throw it in the microwave, and then run around peeing on everyone else that creates a top 100 list. That's not leadership. And that's not how you stay on top of an industry. Talk about how the gap is wide between Matthew Barry and the next analyst, however you want to measure it. Wealth, prestige, influence, reach. Matthew Barry is a dominant figure. So why don't I ever read his articles? Why was I unaware that Matthew Barry even had an existing article premise called 100 Facts? I didn't even know that. I had to go look that up. Partly that's because I'm late to fantasy football. I was a fantasy baseball player for many years, and I only knew of Matthew Barry as ESPN's Matthew Barry. I'm not familiar with the talented Mr. Roto. 
I wasn't around back then. The one thing I know about Matthew Barry is in 2011, he had Michael Vick ranked as his number one overall player. That's something I know about Matthew Barry and his analysis. And that's about it because I never seek out analysis on ESPN. It's why I don't know what Mike Clay's been up to since he left Pro Football Focus. Couldn't tell you what he's writing because I don't go to ESPN for analysis. But a lot of people do. After Yahoo Sports, ESPN is the second most widely used fantasy platform. And Matthew Barry is getting his own show on ESPN, the globally dominant sports network. So why is he wasting his time peeing on fantasy writers with a thousand followers as if they're Dane Cook stealing his jokes? It's disappointing. But as I mentioned, I can't really criticize Matthew Barry because fundamentally writers need more protections against plagiarism, and essence stealing. I agree, but David Letterman is not lamenting every other talk show host that uses a top 10 list, is he? No, of course not. (laughs) David Letterman doesn't own a top 10 list any more than Matthew Barry owns a top 100 list. I just wish that the article in question was posted anywhere but Fantasy Pros. Literally anywhere but Fantasy Pros. Anywhere. Because if I had to pick a website to get fantasy football content, it would be ESPN and Matthew Barry. It would not be Fantasy Pros because Fantasy Pros is the Cosa Nostra of fantasy football. I just wish anywhere else I would be ravaging Matthew Barry, but I just can't. Because I agree that Fantasy Pros is an insidious enterprise. But that's not to say that Fantasy Pros doesn't have great writers. One of the best fantasy analysts, Mike Tagliere, is a full-time writer for Fantasy Pros. He came on this show last year, and he's a friend of mine. But just because they have great writers doesn't mean they have great business practices. Fantasy Pros is the Borg of the fantasy football industry, just consuming clicks, clicks and traffic. And they are shameless about how they generate clicks and traffic. Fantasy Pros is like a drug dealer to other fantasy football websites, other fantasy football publishers. Want some clicks? Want some clicks? Want some clicks? You do, right? Want some clicks? I can send you some traffic. Send you some traffic. Send you some traffic. Okay, yeah, I'd love some traffic. How do I get that traffic? How do I get that traffic? Send us your weekly rankings for free. That's essentially the trade-off. Give me content, I'll give you traffic. Give me content, I'll give you traffic. And the fantasy analysts creating the rankings get paid nothing, nothing. I don't know how they do it. It's the greatest magic trick in the history of the fantasy football industry. How fantasy pros somehow, some way convinced fantasy analysts to donate their rankings every week for free. It's a joke. I am boycotting fantasy pros. I don't use the website and I will never, ever post my rankings to Fantasy Pros until they start paying the actual analysts doing all the work. Because that's what happens in these click farm environments. The creators, the artists, are the ones that suffer, are the ones that are underappreciated and underpaid. And I believe that's where Matthew Berry's frustration actually emanates from. Because Fantasy Pros has been accused of participating in all of the content farming and clickbaiting tricks in the book. How do you think they get 10 million clicks a month during the season? And I've seen it firsthand. Playerprofiler.com writers come to me for entry-level opportunities. The trade-off is most of our writers have little to no experience. They just want a foot in the door. And I provide them with that in addition to engaged editorial assistance. 
That's why you'll find after a few successful articles on Player Profiler, many of our writers take what they've learned from Player Profiler and from myself, and they go out and they become writers elsewhere for Roto World and Number Fire and Fantasy Guru and many other sites. You'll find writers with playerprofiler.com backgrounds. And I actively engage other fantasy football publishers when I believe one of our writers is ready to take the next step. But a funny thing started happening this season. The moment one of our writers would write their first article, they would immediately receive an email from Fantasy Pros with an offer to write for them. And you might say, oh, wow, write for Fantasy Pros, full-time job in fantasy football. Yeah! No, 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 no. No. In typical Fantasy Pros fashion, they approach a playerprofiler.com writer and offer $10 an article. $10 an article. That's a joke for a website that generates over $10 million a year in revenue to pay $10 an article. And that's all you need to know. Shameless, cheesy, rude writer poaching. That's the behavior that many of us in the fantasy football industry have come to expect from fantasy pros. And Matthew Berry alluded to it on Twitter. The undercurrent of Matthew Berry's resentment of that 100 stats article was the fact that it was posted on fantasy pros it was the last drop in the bucket for him dealing with the borg of the fantasy football industry so it puts me in a terrible position loading up my flamethrower with fuel finger on the trigger ready to torch matthew barry only to learn that he's criticizing pervasive unethical behavior from fantasy pros I agree with him. But that still doesn't mean that I'll be reading his articles on ESPN. That's where I draw the line. I'll read Matthew Berry's tweets. I will nod quietly when he criticizes fantasy pros. But don't make me read his article. (laughs) Unless he comes up with an original premise. So, Roto Underworld audience, email me, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Tweet me at rotounderworld. If Matthew Berry wants to be more Louis C.K. and less Dennis Leary and craft a new and innovative article premise, or if you yourself want to write for playerprofiler.com, send the link to me. I would love to read it. For example, you don't read any analysis of best ball leagues on ESPN. If you go to ESPN, it's like best ball doesn't exist, even though best ball is becoming more and more and more popular. And you don't read anything about dynasty leagues, even though dynasty leagues are becoming more and more and more popular. And if you're a fan of this show, you know that I play dynasty league football on Reality Sports Online because Reality Sports Online offers the sophistication of multi-year contracts, bidding on free agents, and the flexibility to run your league like the NFL without the complexity of other dynasty platforms. You can be the commissioner of a Reality Sports Online league and not sacrifice your sanity. So go to Reality Sports Online now and migrate your Dynasty League. And when you do, use the promo code UNDERWORLD to get a 10% discount. So I'm a big Dynasty League fan, I'm a big best ball fan. Makes it very difficult to rely on ESPN for quality analysis when they are largely ignoring those formats. Now people talk to me about best ball, best ball, best ball. Give me some best ball tips. Talk best ball strategy on the show. This is the most important thing about best ball leagues. Take MFL 10s. The misnomer with MFL 10s is that they're best ball leagues, right? Best ball. That's what they're called. 
So it would stand to reason that the most important signature trait of the best ball league is the fact that it's a best ball format, that you don't need to set your lineup, that it will automatically optimize your lineup every week. And therefore, you should only focus on drafting the players with the most weekly upside, the most volatile wide receivers, for example. You want Deshaun Jackson because he's capable of those WR1 weeks. You want the boom-bust player. You want Kenny Stills late in the draft. There's no reason to draft Rashard Matthews. Well, that's false logic, and here's why. The most important aspect of the MFL 10 format is not the best ball component of the format. It's the draft master component. Because even more impactful than the weekly optimized lineups are the fact that you can't pick up free agent players. You can't make ad drops during the season. That's by far and away the most important aspect of the MFL 10, MFL 25, MFL 100 format, as well as all the other Draftmaster formats on the FFPC. But it is a misnomer. They shouldn't be called best ball leagues. They should be called Draftmaster leagues. Because the fact that you can't make free agent pickups in season is by far the biggest differentiator between MFL 10s and traditional fantasy football leagues. The fact that you can't make free agent pickups in season means that you have to only focus on the high floor players. But because so many people start a best ball league thinking, I need upside. I need to chase players with high ceilings. I need the volatile players. Wrong. Couldn't be further from the truth. And the fact is the labeling system for that format is an incredible red herring. You have to focus on the least fragile players, the players that are most likely to get carries and targets. Who's the safest, not the sexiest? When you think best ball, you think sexy player, you think Deshaun Jackson. You shouldn't be thinking that. You should be thinking safer. You should be thinking Rashard Matthews. You need to chase the floors, not the ceilings. That's why zero RB doesn't work in a best ball format because zero RB is predicated on picking up those league winning running backs off the waiver wire. You can't do that in a draft master format. You have to invest in the running back position, specifically in those running backs with defined roles and a minimal injury history. On InjuryPredictor.com the last couple seasons, the least likely running back to get hurt has been Frank Gore. That's why Frank Gore has been one of the best players to draft in MFL 10s. And Frank Gore is a great value in all formats, but he's an even better value in the Draftmaster format because we know he's going to have the primary back role and he has a low chance of injury. He also has a high probability of being inefficient, but that doesn't matter. You just need the guys that are scoring points every week. Chasing efficiency, particularly in the best ball format, is the easiest way to build a losing roster. You don't lose in a best ball format because you didn't have as many WR1 weeks or RB1 weeks as the next guy. You lose if one of your running backs is logging RB1 weeks consistently while the rest of the running backs you drafted have either been relegated or injured. That's why a player like Jeremy Langford was such a bad pick in best ball leagues last season because he could be easily relegated. Frank Gore was being drafted in a similar draft slot and was both anti-fragile and immovable on the depth chart. But Jeremy Langford had more upside. It's true. He did have more upside before the 2016 season happened. I would agree with that. But I would also agree that Frank Gore was the right pick in a draft master format. We've talked about Doug Baldwin a lot on the show. 
a lot of fantasy gamers do not perceive Doug Baldwin as having much upside. When you think of Doug Baldwin, you don't think of a boom-bust receiver. That would be great in best ball leagues. You think of a consistent producer. He's getting the target share. He's efficient with it. But he's not necessarily scoring a lot of touchdowns or posting 1,500-yard seasons. So the fantasy drafter focusing on the best ball component of the format may ignore Doug Baldwin when Doug Baldwin is the ideal wide receiver to draft in a draft master format. He consistently plays all 16 games, absorbs a top 10 target share, and has no competition on the depth chart. He checks all the boxes that you're looking for in the ideal draft master format wide receiver. So neither Doug Baldwin nor Frank Gore are sexy. Neither one of these players would be considered boom-bust fantasy assets. But they are quintessential ideal targets for best ball leagues, which should actually be called draft master leagues.